Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Ringside Studios creative director Gub Neal and executive producer Patrick Irwin about establishing the new and based drama label over the past 12 months. And Banerjee Iberia chief executive Pilar Blasco on the firm's recent restructure and the peninsula's present COVID-19 production protocols. TFUN, owned French production and distribution group Nguyen, launched Ringside Studios in February last year, a UK scripted label with former Channel 4 head of drama Gub Neal at the helm as creative director. Launched just before the COVID-19 pandemic, through a partnership with packaging specialist Dovetail Media, Neil was reunited with former Box TV artist studio and far more media exec Patrick Irwin earlier this year when he joined Ringside as executive producer. The pair spoke to me about building up the new business in a time of unprecedented challenges, their ambitions and belief in the long-term viability of high-end scripted TV and recent deals with new outfits Fiction House and 44 Drama. Let's go back a little bit pre-pandemic last year to the establishment of Ringside Studios. Happier happier times. Tell us a little bit about the partnership with Nguyen, the French company that's uh, invested in the business and helped you set up Ringside. Uh, how did that come about and, and why was it the right time and the right partnership then? We, we felt it was a very good opportunity to set up a new studio in London with a French backer, particularly at a time of Brexit. It felt like a good fit to have a partnership with a, a European interest. Uh, Nguyen is a very interesting company. Obviously, they are significantly invested in by TF1, which is a huge um, media player in France. And um, in thinking about how to position the new business in the new world, we felt that this uh, opportunity to sort of stand, you know, the gateway really between Europe and the English speaking market um, would give us an opportunity to really maximize opportunities, both in terms of the European broadcasting, but also in terms of the reach into the global market generally in, in, in English language. So when we were approached by uh, Roman Bessie, and actually it was an approach that was made through Dovetail, Jeremy Guade and Justin Thompson Glover, both really sort of provided the introduction. And uh, I think we were able to set up a business last February with very much shared joint ambitions as to how we could really make the business a stepping stone from Europe into a global English language market and that we felt we were in the right place to help them do that and obviously to help ourselves as well by having this extension into, into Europe. Obviously you've you've worked together before Artist Studios, Dovetail, you referenced there, Far More Media. Just explain a little bit more of, of the journey and your history together. You've got some incredible shows between you also. I think our history together actually goes back even further than that to uh, the beginning of the millennium which is when uh, Gub had just left Channel 4 where he'd been head of, head of drama and set up with Justin at Box TV and uh, I came in very soon after they, they set up so we really started to work together then uh, right through Box and then on to Artist Studio and Farmore and into Endemol which became Endemol Shine. Um, I, I left there slightly before Gub and Justin each individually left there to see uh, various other interests temporarily. But when I read that Gub was setting up uh, Ringside last year, I thought well, that sounds a bit ambitious. But um, having just rejoined him, I can tell you that, that ambition is coming, um, you know, all coming together. Uh, and as you've seen, there's been a, a sort of flurry of recent announcements about what we've been up to. And there's a lot more come, I suspect, over the next few months. And it's, you know, we've worked together for so long now. It's very easy. It's a very easy relationship. And I think it's, um, you know, it's important. 
as you get to as you get to a certain age in this business to work with people that you I mean you can have the liberty I guess of working with people that you like and that you respect and, and get on with and that's uh, that's a great blessing really. The venture was announced in in mid February just before COVID nineteen swept the globe as we all know. So how did the seismic events of last year affect uh, or impact your plans? I think from our point of view, it, it you, you could say setting up a new business it couldn't have come at a worse time. But actually, in retrospect, thinking back over how busy we've been over the last 12 months, the fact that we were starting up a business, the fact that we didn't have shows in production and we weren't due to go into production straight away, meant that there wasn't anything to really be blighted or sold by having to contend with this virus. And actually, naturally and organically, we, we were able to grow our plans somewhat under the radar of COVID to be able to carry on development, carry on working with writers, carry on building co-production and commissioning opportunities. And that's pretty much what we've done over the last 12 months. And actually, we have been able to sort of progress dynamically with the, with the opportunities that were available to us. There's obviously a huge appetite in the market at the moment. There's, there's been such a shortage of production over the last 12 months. There are great gaps to fill and there are great opportunities. So in some ways, it has been a strange time. It's been a strange time because it's been difficult to connect with people physically in meetings and so on. But actually for our business and for the place that we were at in our business in terms of the cycle, the natural cycle of building, development, commissioning writers and so on, it hasn't actually affected us adversely. And in fact, quite the opposite. I think it's created an opportunity to actually focus discussions with commissioners, focus discussions with co-producers. In some senses, oddly, people have had more time. They've actually had more capacity to really hone things. And um, as I said, it's been a strange world for all of us. But to be absolutely honest, in the normal ebb and flow of business, I'm not sure it would have worked out quite so well. Strangely, I think for us, at our precise point in our business cycle, it's actually been it's been quite good. So 2020 was, in some ways, as, as uh, others have also said, a good year for development. But in terms of the actual processes and the way that those kind of projects are put together in mm. an environment where we're all chatting on Zoom, that does present challenges of its own, right? Or, or are we talking about projects that you brought to the business from from some time predating the pandemic and so fairly well set up already we, we we were able to bring two or three fairly well developed projects into the new business and those are things that we've been able to sort of really drive forward this last year to be able to sort of complete the commissioning cycle on them and get them set up for production this year we're going to be very busy this year with three productions and uh you know in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense i think what we've also been able to witness looking at it from a production perspective is we've been able to watch some of the challenges that other people have had to meet in the in the COVID crisis, how you deal with production, how you deal with protection, how you deal with safety. It's been a learning curve for, for the industry and we've all had to learn from each other. And to some extent, you know, some of those real problems have been cracked. There are plenty of other problems out there. You know, we're, we're about to deal with the big quarantine problem. It's ironic that as we, as we come out of this with this vaccination, the, the need to protect each other is now being superseded by the need to protect the country. And actually, the quarantine barriers are going to be the next big complication, particularly on international productions, of how you deal with getting people in and out of the country when there may be a week or two's quarantine on both sides of the border. That presents a, a different kind, you know, different set of problems <laughs> from the ones that we were previously dealing with about just how do we, you know, how do we deal with each other in a in a in a production situation. Um, also, we, we've always been slightly ahead of the game in that Gov and I both, you know, live in Wales. We used to work 
in London, but, but spend a lot of time working from home in Wales. So the whole home working, you know, not having a not having everyone together in one office, that's been second nature to us. For a long yeah, time. The, the satellite satellite working. Also, one of the things I think that we've been able to benefit from is we we started our original business, Patrick and I and Justin, way back in the noughties at the beginning of the noughties. And the first thing that we hit was the collapse of sale and leaseback. So everyone had been feeding very comfortably off the sale and leaseback arrangement. But actually early on in our business history, we had to engage with this disappearance of sale and leaseback. And actually what it did is it drove us into the international market. And actually, most importantly, it drove us into doing co-productions. So, so Patrick and myself have been doing co-productions for 20 odd years, you know, whether it's with the Canadians or, or whoever. It, and it's and it's built a, a sense for us that actually international co-production is a very natural, you know, just relying purely on indigenous UK sale. We, we, we were forced out of that comfort zone into something more complicated early on. And over the course of the last 20 years, that's just become more relevant. It's become more part and parcel of the businesses. We've ceased to be university sort of domestic producers. And now we have to be international in our scope, in our relationships, in our range. And dealing with, um, you know, what is now a multicultural business is something that, you know, in a sense, uh, you have to develop an aptitude for not everyone is comfortable co-producing with the French or co-producing with the Germans. Or uh, I, I think this is something that, you know, we, we've developed a passport over the course of the last 20 years that's enabled us to recognize the homogeneity of the business and how you ultimately have to work. Positioned as we are now, as I described, as sort of between Europe and to some extent the US and certainly the English language global market, then having that, ab- that ability to look in a number of different directions and work collectively with co-producers and other partners, I think has proved to be very helpful. I have to be honest, and I do understand, a lot of people aren't confident comfortable with that. A lot of people want to be English producers working in English for English buyers or buyers that at least are in this country and not necessarily have to uh, scale the, you know, the hurdles that are put up by dealing with multiple partners and indeed multiple finance. But that is the reality of the of the, of the world that we're in now. And uh, I, I, I'd like to believe, you know, that we, we've had a very good schooling in that. Ironically, a lot of that you learn out of adversity. You, you know, you learn because something goes wrong or the financing falls apart and you have to go and find it from somewhere else. So both specialists in co-productions, international co-productions, but the point that you raised about just the challenges now that we're going to face in terms of international production from, from a travel point of view, given that scripted has been hit harder, arguably, than unscripted by this whole situation, has that prompted you to reevaluate your your plans in any way for, for what you're going to do at ringside? I mean, I think the, the, the genesis of any drama production is you know many years or the gestation period is many years long so I think the projects that are starting now you know aren't going to get to camera for for two years with even with a fair wind behind them so I think we can can reasonably hope that things would have eased off in in two years time so I don't think I think obviously it's been a short-term effect and there's obviously an effect on the supply chain and the pipeline of programs in production and no one quite knows how that will play out yet but I think hopefully this has been a bump in the road and we will see the continued uh, rise of English language drama and high-end drama in general pick up again moving forward in international co-production I think as Gov was saying earlier is only going to be an increasingly important part of that because the market is becoming day by day more and more global and more international 
you know, the cross-pollination and the advantage of being involved with Nguyen and, the, and having the other companies within the Nguyen group that we can all now feed on each other's ideas and we have a mechanism for swapping formats within the group. And I think it's good to get that cross-pollination. Yeah, and Nguyen and, and are also using us as a bridgehead into the into the British market. Um, you know, we announced fairly recently the first investment that we've made in, in Fiction House and, and, and we, are, we have more coming down the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, just on a deal with Rob Percy's company, 44, which is a bespoke uh, development deal. Um, we, we're not just operating as a production entity. We're also operating as a stepping off point for investment, which gives us sort of dual. I mean, it's great for us because it means we can we can build our own partnerships in the UK, bespoke partnerships with talent, which is hugely exciting, rather than just relying necessarily entirely on our own resources. We can go out there and actually do deals with other people. Just tell us a little bit more about that investment ambition. And again, you know, whether the sort of current environment has has changed that in any way i mean the, the the ambition is 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 literally to find you know half a dozen or a few more uh can be early stage companies or can be existing companies but but largely talent talent driven that talent can be producer talent or it can be a writer or it can be or it can be you know an actor or whatever but but talent who maybe brings something that we don't already have existing or new relationships that we don't have and it's it's really about investing in in their overhead and also provide them with development resource so we can help them build the company and we'll give them you know infrastructural help as well but without hopefully being too overbearing and them feeling that they're part of some enormous machine which is just gobbling up their turnover it's it's more about actually allowing them to develop with some support in the background financial and and infrastructural and then relationship wise um, and new and obviously has its distribution arm which they can also take advantage of and music publishing and all these other you know ancillary mm-hmm. benefits that, that, that they can that they can buy into um, we've got a you know a, a, an optimum production appetite really amongst ringside studios which is to produce bespoke high-end drama pretty much you know and we don't want to be in a situation where we're over expanded or overstretched in terms of the quality of what we're producing so the idea of being able to invest in these uh, associated relationships with other smaller companies or companies that are geared around individual talent is is, is a very attractive way of expanding our our scope and our range but uh, I, I think the word I use to sort of describe the relationship is it's like having a flotilla of different ships that are essentially sailing together you know on the same course and, and have the same kind of uh, horizons and ambitions in mind uh, but within that you've got a lot of diversity and diversity is going to be a very important part of those investments as well so in the case of Fiction House we very lucky to be able to invest in Dominic and, and Kate's work coming very rich tradition working in theatre fantastic range of writer relationships still learning about Dominic's obviously directing television so on but still learning a lot about how the, the TV business works and we can we can help them with that we can help nurture that on the one hand and then a relationship with someone like Rob who's a hugely experienced showrunner producer absolutely capable of, of, of running and producing his own material but to have an associated relationship with the development of that material opportunities to help finance it and distribute it again very exciting so we're sort of wanting to build Build uh, a very varied range of investments. It's not a game of cop it where you're just going out as a distributor going, let's just spend loads of money and scoop up all these companies. And then frankly, 
sometimes you wonder why when they do when these entities do that they assimilate all this stuff but then they don't really know what to do with it <laughs> and they don't really know how to sort of make sense of it other than it's just acquisition uh, whereas i think what we're trying to do is to build something much more m- m- much more bespoke and in a sense just m- much more thought through and to make sure those relationships as as patrick said you make sure those relationships are complementary that we're not all treading on each other's toes trying to pitch to the same people and produce the same programs which having been in a large group i can tell you is sometimes the case <laughs> everyone's in competition with everyone else and you kind of think well rather than celebrating someone getting a commission away you're swearing because it wasn't you you know don't really want to be in that situation patrick you talked about the the value of packaging it's something that um uh, both of you have, have uh, specialized in over your your careers and um the high-end tv drama market as well Although it's been dented by all of this, the, the the BFI's latest figures suggest that even amidst the, the the sort of the hiatus, there was a bit of a run on that that sort of sector towards the end of the year, which meant perhaps you know as a whole it didn't come out quite as as bad as people might have expected, and and spend at the high end of the market is as we can all know, sort of going higher and higher. But what about everything else that's beneath that and, and doesn't quite fall into that that category? Yeah, I think there is there is a kind of squeezed middle emerging, if that's what you're driving at. I mean, I think, you know, it was seen in, in the kind of film world, you know, 10, 15 years ago where, where you ended up very much bifurcating into massive studio movies with budgets which would now be the hundreds of millions and the independent movies which are, you know, scrabbled together for whatever people can get. And I think we are seeing the same in, in TV to some extent and you know, enormous budgets with some of the streamers are able to pull together and then you know the more traditional shows which maybe won't travel but you know which are an important part of any country or any broadcasters um, slate is to have some shows which are which are local and you see that you know particularly in Wales you have S4C trying to make programs you know, for several hundred thousand rather than several million and uh, they've got to use a lot of the same talent and there's no crews same locations and I think it is tricky and that's the same point we mustn't forget the grassroots otherwise everybody's just inflating themselves to, towards the top end of the market and, and spending a lot of money on on IP but without the you know without the infrastructure and the and the and the depth of uh, talent and crews down the range below that because you've just emptied out the middle everything, of the everything starts on the fringe look at Phoebe Waller Bridge <laughs> Quite literally, you know, on the festival fringe. I mean, it, 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 you've got to keep that. You've got to keep those channels, those those nursery slates uh, running, and they're gonna they're gonna be in 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 the places where obviously you know the budgets are smaller, and and those risks need to continue to be taken. But uh, there is an argument for continuing to subsidise, or at least in continuing to incentivise those opportunities. You know, otherwise mm-hmm. the thing that makes us unique will will dry up because obviously public service broadcasting in America is completely different model still exists to some extent in Canada but it is the thing that we have in the UK that does make us very distinctive to a lot of other markets and uh, uh, you know the, the 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 scale of our talent and the capacity of our talent is in does have a direct relationship with the fact that we do have a, a healthy public broadcasting sector we don't want to lose that I think it would be an absolute tragedy if we did finally what are the lessons that you learned in 2020 either on a personal level or or on a business or a creative level that you're planning to take forward into 2021 and beyond? Well, 
we were talking earlier about how at a conference a couple of years ago, you asked me about Brexit and how it would affect producers. And I said, we'll get through it because that's what producers do. I mean, I think the last year has shown that the industry that we're in is very adaptable. It's made up of you know a lot of very talented people who think on their feet. And you know, when you're when you're in production, you have to find ways to get it done. And that's really what what the industry's done in the last year. It's been you know, it's been a remarkable success story really to keep going as much as it has and to find ways of, of keeping production going and to retrench and to get back into development when they have to. But um, I think for me, you know, the lesson has been this is you know this is a great industry which which has a great future and and COVID ain't going to stop us. Gub, did you have anything to add? Uh, yeah, just just two things really. One is, one is that it's kind of strange that at a time when you could actually travel less, if at all, you actually end up kind of traveling further uh which seems a sort of strange reversal of fortunes really but i think that is sort of what's happened is that is that people have had to push you know further in terms of fulfilling those opportunities and those ambitions i think the other thing is you know uh, no one should do more than two hours on zoom without taking a walk <laughs> at a personal level um yeah because you can have too much of a good thing Okay, well, on that note, I think we'll allow you to to shut down your screen and uh, step outside your house. But, uh, Gub, Patrick, thanks very much for making time for us today. Gub Neal and Patrick Irwin from Ringside Studios. Banerjee Iberia this week revealed a revised local management team for Spain and Portugal under the leadership of Chief Executive Pilar Blasco. The new structure follows the integration of Endemol Shine as part of Banerjee's $2 billion takeover of the business last year. Blasco spoke to Clive Whittingham about these changes, the current state of COVID-19 production protocols in the territory and the growth of Spanish language drama and entertainment formats on the global stage. Give us a little bit of background to begin with to Banerjee Iberia. Obviously, there was a huge merger between Banerjee and Endemol Shine. In your part of the world, after that merger, what does the company look like? Who is it? What is it? What companies are part of it? And what programmes do you produce? Actually, we are many labels in entertainment, which are, for example, Cuarzo, and lead by Juan Ragonzalo and they are responsible of uh, the successful season of uh, Temptation Island. Uh, also, Yes Music, based on Barcelona, uh, lead by Dinette Rubira and they are in charge of Your Face and Familiar or Operación Triunfo. Um, it's, it's, it's more focused on talent, overall in, in music talent. Here in Madrid, there is uh, Zeppelin, which is responsible for, for the production of Big Brother and the lead by Amparo Castellano, recently named. Diagonal, which is a label of scripted. Diagonal is lead by Jaume Banacolocha, and they are producers of The Cathedral of the Sea. Sino Iberia, which is responsible for uh, Masterchef, uh, among others, and lead by Macarena Rey. And we have also interest or participate in uh, The Law, lead by José Manuel Lorenzo, and uh, responsible of scripted as, for example, uh, Tell Me Who I Am or, or The Hunt. And Porto Cabo, which are uh, producers of the Galician Noir Agua Brava in HBO or Hierro, the most watched series in, in, in Movistar. And added to add to that, Endemol Portugal and Sign Iberia, you know, they are producers of The Boys, Hill Kitchen, Big Brother, everything. So it's, a, it's a big group now and a big group requires yeah. a, a big management structure. The reason we're talking and people will have read the news story by the time they hear this is that you have had a restructure of management with a number of uh, new 
new appointments. Why don't you uh, run us through those appointments and also uh, why you've decided to uh, to make them? We realize we need to give some tools uh, to our labels to thrive and, and succeed, no, and, and make them stronger. And this is the the reason of to have a pool of uh, very top executives to support the the rest of of the levels. And we have uh, these executives with a lot of international background, which are Harry Garcia, which is the CFO and COO, or uh, Maria Pinilla in charge of uh, international and business affairs, uh, Marta in legal, Jaume in commercial, Miguel Angel in IT, um, and of course Felipe in digital strategy or Pilar in DIRCOM. We are very, very lucky to have them uh, on board. What is the current situation in Spain with regards to the pandemic and COVID-19 and the production of television there at the moment? As the rest of Europe no, and as the rest of the world, we, we have fixed ups and downs. But this, since the beginning, we, of course, as, as many of our colleagues, we stopped the production until the situation could be safe for all of our employees and our talent. No? But some of our formats, we continue producing daily informative magazines and we came back as soon as possible because we, we feel that we have a kind of commitment with our audiences. No, no, we are not um, sanitary teams and we are not uh, important people, but we do a kind of uh, service to the community, which is uh, make them feel that uh, they are not alone. They are entertaining and they are feeling of, um, of community no, so we came back to work uh, in, in a month in, since April of 2020. We, we, starting, we started working with all our, many of our productions. We have a lot of protocols, a lot of policies and uh, waiting for the vaccine. We've seen recently um, some big investments into Spain from Netflix and there was uh, some government announcements last week about in investment into the industry um, in Spain. Mm. What, what effect is that going to have, both the, this influx of money and the influx of, uh, of the streamers? They seem to be going really big on on uh, Spanish language content and, and Iberia as an area. Yeah, yeah, it, it was time. It was time because... Because uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that the audiovisual sector, and particularly the TV sector, has been taken seriously by, by government or by the politics, no? because we were very, very alone and self-regulated. So now the announcement of investment from the government has been a very, very good news, because we need some regulation and we need to, we need to empower the, the figure of independent producer. As you know, the independent producer in TV is the soul of of the projects, no, they are looking always for the big this idea or the big talent, or uh, support and keep uh, working the technical crews and 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 writers and authors. So um, uh, if if we achieve to have our place, will be a very good a very good news, no. So the 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 support the, of the government with uh, some regulations and tax rebates, tax credits, soft credits, all these financial tools would be very good for, for all the sector because uh, we, once again we, we are a strategic sector for, for a government, no? for a country for, for the brand of a country because we have a strong link
links with tourism, with culture, with education. We can be bakers of positive social messages. So we, we, we do um, work for community and for, for a country. So it's good to have a healthy sector, a healthy industry. And regarding Netflix, I think Netflix is very, are very smart or is very smart. And they realized, they saw that uh, in Spain there are a very good talent on and off camera with very, very competitive budgets. And this is uh, the bet of Netflix, no? And uh, we are very, very grateful because uh, following Netflix, we have all, all of them, Disney+, Plus, Discovery, the local streamer, Movistar+, Plus, which have a very good level of commitment as well. And, and the free-to-air channels, of course, that they are, um, since the beginning, supporting the, the sector, no? the, the audiovisual uh, sector. So, uh, very welcome, all of them. Are the streamers good news for everybody? Are they good news for the local broadcasters or are they going to take away talent? You know, are they going to sort of collect all the talent up so that the, the local broadcasters can't use it or or will it lift standards just across the board? Yeah, bueno, both. Uh, I think it's, it's a very good situation for all of us, uh, for all the sector, because uh, free-to-air broadcasters have now... Uh, a lot of links with the platforms uh, through common projects, no? So this is very good because the range of projects are wider. You can find more talent we can have uh, more diversity in the stories that you can tell and diversity of genres, uh, points of view. Uh, well, this, this is uh, very good, no? For, for, uh, and, and you can disco- and discover new talent no? in, in all areas. I want to talk um, about the expansion plans for, for your company. And I want to start by talking about the drama because there's obviously a lot of Spanish drama on your slate and Spanish drama is trending because... U.S. Hispanic markets, Latin America, it's not just Spain and Portugal, so it's got huge potential. Can you talk to me a little bit about where the drama fits in your strategy? And I presume you're not just looking at Spanish broadcasters and Portuguese broadcasters for this, you're looking across the Atlantic. That's that's part of the plan, right? Yeah, we have a lot of plans to, to produce with our colleagues from Mexico. We have as, as well um, links and collaboration with a company in Argentina, Topica Media, for creating new projects and producing new scripted projects. All our aim in regarding scripted is the is the global uh, the global appeal from local to global. No, we say we are not inventing anything, but uh, we we want to 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 give to our scripted projects this this uh, this twist, no, to to be competitive internationally. Uh, and the proof is, for example, the Cathedral of the Sea in Netflix, the second season Earth of the Land. Uh, we are now producing the international bestseller novel uh, The Gypsy Bride written by Carmen Molas and directed by Paco Cabezas which is an Spanish uh, international director. We are as well uh, with Louis Melia, a short comedy it's a reference for LGTBI rights and uh, it uh, has a lot of followers in, in the social networks and um, as I said before the Galician Noir in HBO and Hierro and in, in several uh, platforms so all of our scripted has this uh, point of international. Is the strategy to pitch those directly now to Netflix, Amazon, and they will take them globally? Or do you want to pitch them to the local broadcasters and maybe get a season like with a local broadcaster in Spain and then sell it yourselves on the distribution market? We do many things. No, we uh, Normally, usually, 
we have with our project to the to the platform directly. We pitch, we said, yeah, we have this uh, project with this talent and with this budget, and they say yes or not. But we collaborate as well with the free to air and link with the platforms, and together we lift a, a particular project. We don't produce a deficit. We always are funded by the broadcasters, but we have uh, we produce a lot of co-production with Porto Cabo, with three European broadcasters, for example, uh, Movistar plus Arte in, in France or Germany or, or Italy. So we have a lot of co-productions throughout uh, Porto Cabo production. I also want to ask about formats because obviously Banerjee, certainly after the merger, has this huge catalogue of formats that you can adapt and you mentioned MasterChef and Big Brother and shows like that earlier. Is that the extent of your strategy in formats just to take the big names out of the Banerjee catalogue and produce Spanish versions? Or do you want to create original formats in Spain and Portugal that can travel the other way? But both. Uh, we, of course, we replicate all the big brands from the group, but we, we try always to give them something uh, different. No? For example, in MasterChef this year, we have created uh, MasterChef grandparents to tribute this eldest generation that have suffered a lot uh, in the pandemia. And uh, of course, if, if, if you produce during 20 editions, Big Brother, you have to put a lot of creativity and innovation there, no? because if not, it's impossible to be on, on the grid for so much time. But we, we always uh, try to create and to, to have uh, international hits, no? as for example, Your Face and Familiar, sold in more than 40 countries, and recently The Bridge, which is a, a twister uh, reality that has initiated its career right now. In, in, in Spain, of course, they have uh, two seasons, but we have versions in M6 and in, in Channel 4 as well. You can watch it in, in HBO nowadays. So we try to do uh, a, a mix of things. It's uh, one of our goals, no? to, to create new, new formats for the, for the world. Pilar Blasco from Banerjee Iberia, speaking with Clive Whittingham. That's all for this episode, but there will be more from the podcast next week. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 